Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Expert Perspectives, a podcast by Noibu, where we explore the elite strategies and cutting edge insights with our expert guests. Get ready to propel your e-commerce business to the next level. Welcome to the e-commerce toolbox, Experts Perspective. Joining us today, we have Rigel St. Pierre. He's had a very interesting career, starting off as a consultant, software engineer, individual contributor, moving to the agency world in e-com, where he ended up leading a team before jumping over to one of the premier D2C brands that you hear in the Julia space called Majuri, where he is the director of engineering. So it's an honor to have him today. Thanks for your time, Rigel, and nice to meet you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no worries. All right. So you're really a developer at heart. You started off building software, and then you moved to the agency side. During your stint there, and you don't have to name names, probably shouldn't anyways, you've probably seen tech done really, really, really well from an e-com standpoint. And then you've probably seen tech done the complete other side of the spectrum and everything in the middle. So maybe talk to us a bit about some of your key learnings And if you want to cherry pick some of those big things, I'm curious to hear about that and what you've witnessed as you've got to see companies stumble and companies actually thrive when it comes to tech selection. Yeah. So I think a lot of what we were doing on the agency side with the particular agency I was at was really focused around migrations to Shopify, which was particularly interesting kind of coming out of mid-2020. So you were kind of seeing that e-com boom through COVID, a lot of brands that hadn't really indexed on e-commerce in the past were all of a sudden all moving over there. And so that was a particularly interesting time to kind of work through. And especially some of these larger, more enterprise-grade brands that we would work with had really kind of done things very old school, especially when it came to ERP systems. OMSs were really kind of built around wholesale shipments, working with wholesalers and things of that nature, and then trying to kind of fit the D2C into that box. And that was always kind of a challenge of, okay, how do we think about this? And especially when Moving from something like Salesforce Cloud Commerce or Custom Spree Instance, where they've kind of had full control to a platform like Shopify, where you still have a ton of options and control, but now you got to kind of play within the sandbox and the rules, sometimes trying to fit that square peg into a round hole. And I think these brands often really looked what was right in front of them and not thinking about, hey, where do I want to be 12, 18, 24 months down the road, specifically with technology? Yeah. And just kind of building on that, how are you looking? at emerging technologies and how you're kind of fitting that into your mandate. To your point, a lot of companies in D2C try to effectively be technology companies and brand themselves as that and spend a lot of money on that, even though in some cases, the value actually came from the core product. And on one of our first episodes, John Maris, who's the CEO of Solo Brand, Solo Stove, which is one of those kind of big D2C stories. And he took the complete other side of the spectrum where he's like, hey, you're a technology company. You guys focus on building technology. I want to build the best product in the world when he's talking about the physical product. How are you balancing and looking at emerging technologies and how that kind of fits into your roadmap? Yeah, it's always a trick because the developer and the engineer and and me is always really excited about that hot new library or that new startup that promises everything. And with a company the size of Missouri, you need to kind of balance the dependency on that. Again, thinking that 12, 24, 36 month roadmap is that still going to be relevant? Is it still going to be important? And then on the flip side is, I have a team of engineers that working with the latest and greatest technology. So 
I think it's kind of evaluating it, kind of seeing what folks are doing. And I think it's not over-indexing on being a technology company. I think it's remembering at the end of the day, Missouri's jewelry brand, and that's our core offering. And how can we really leverage technology to power our business? And thinking about it from not just the e-commerce perspective, but for us, especially, you know, being retail and having that omni-channel experience and getting one deeper of how can we leverage technology in other areas of our business? You know, how can we be supporting our product supply folks? How can we be working with product merchandising, our fulfillment center, and looking at the problems they're having and bringing interesting solutions to those problems? So I'm curious how you guys are thinking and how you think about balancing this. So one argument that I've heard for super, super custom, and it's not even necessarily just in the same space, is we're in a very competitive market super competitive. So like we need to win on the margins. We need to build custom technology to do that. How do you look at being in a competitive market? So if everyone's using the same template and the same software, is there an edge to be gathered there? And how do you guys look at the edge? Or do you think the edge is in the product? I think the edge is a little bit like in our product offering and our brand reputation. Like that's what really differentiates us in the market. But it's also thinking about their customer experience on the web and in the store is how can we make it special? How can we make it unique? I think this is really where personalization is really going is there's so many different offerings out there for say personalization. Google's got their offering. Ogilvy has got their offering. And you know, there's a ton of other startups in the space and they're all kind of plug and play. And to me, something like that is where you want to start to invest into is, hey, how can we leverage an off the shelf technology to deliver that to our users on the front end? But how can we leverage the data that we have about our customers that a specific user as you shop and what you've bought previously? But also, how can we start to look at users like you that have purchased and make really great recommendations and really balance that out with still being tastemakers in the space? If all we sold was the same product that was a bestseller, we don't become, we're not as relevant as a brand anymore. So still being very much a tastemaker and then also balancing inventory constraints. If we've got a ton of one product and limited of another, I don't want to push the product that I don't have for you to the forefront. So that's really where I've been thinking a lot is, is how can we grow in our personalization offering to our customers? Yeah. And I've heard a few key points here. I think what you're saying is super relevant, especially with some of the topics that we might cover later with AI. I'm sure there's a lot of different applications there for personalization. But yeah, I'm quite curious on the vein of personalization and just a lot of the things you just mentioned. What metrics are you thinking tactically? And how do you then track the changes that you're making to ensure that it's driving the results that you want it to drive? Like effectively attribution and marketing attribute, not marketing attribution, but marketing attribution is one of the the age old debates, right? How are you looking at that when it comes to your team? Yeah, so I think a lot of what I spent kind of the time at Missouri doing is really trying to get my engineers and my engineering managers to really understand the metrics that the product managers are looking at that their business unit is looking at and understand the why behind the what. Don't just take this ticket, update the PDP. What are we actually trying to do? What metric are we trying to move here? And so to me, that's been really critical is having those folks. And I think we're still really early on and having the engineers understand that and ask those questions and be really critical of it. But I think it's continuing to develop that particular point. And I think that this is where we have an advantage with an in-house engineering team over a brand that might look to just hire an agency we're able to really have our folks be critical, whereas an agency is just going to take that. With the right agency, you might have an analyst team helping support with some of your roadmap decisions. But ultimately, you're working on a bucket of hours or time and material, and they're just going to take that work and do it. And so for me, like 
if we've got those folks that are in there, know the business, have been here for years, let's really have them question everything we're doing. Yeah, and there's a really good book that is called Inspired that really talks a lot about this on aligning engineering and product. And to your point, if you're just like, hey, engineering team, go build this, and they don't understand the why behind it, and they don't understand the KPIs they're trying to drive, there's probably oversights, right? And it's not even internally until we fully align those teams. Then once in a while, you'll hear someone on the engineering team go, hey, I was asked to build this way, but for these reasons, shouldn't I build it this way? Because this kind of makes more sense. And to your point, you're probably not going to get that with an agency relationship. And that's actually my next question is around the topic of build versus buy. Kind of same thing, to be honest, when it comes to engineering resources. Curious what your take is on build versus buy and what some of those trade-offs are. Yeah, so I think often when I'm thinking about build versus buy at Missouri, I'm looking at it really from a product solution perspective. So whether it comes to returns and exchanges, e-commerce platform as a whole, OMS, ERP software, those to me are really, we're questioning build versus buy, but I think in the kind of the wider space is it's, should I build an engineering team or should I work with an agency? And I often feel like there was a really great brand that we worked with at, at Half Helix called Fellow. They make coffee products. And I think what made them a really great brand on the buy side of things was they brought in a product manager. A lot of the time with brands we'd worked with, they've got marketing people involved or they've got content, people that aren't really thinking about it from a product lens. And so I think that's something that I think more brands should really be looking at is, hey, let's get a product person in here to start and have that person really drive our site like a product. And then from there, balance out, hey, do we actually want to grow an engineering team or does it make more sense for our business to take that budget and spend it with an agency? But I think that that to me has been a huge gap I've seen is not having product people and coming from a product background, having that person that's critically looking at something, whether you're going into user research or insights at a level or even just, again, looking at the metrics and saying, hey, is this feature moving our AOV? Is this increasing our conversion rate or our add to cart rate? Or are we just putting it there because we think it looks cool? Love it. I think it makes sense. And I think you'll get pushback if your engineering team is A, aligned around a common KPI, bought into the KPI, and then they're obviously motivated to do it, right? They're not just being told, hey, here's a list of features. When can you build them by? Cool. I mean, one question I always like to ask about is, as a head of engineering, how are you looking at like monitoring and how are you looking at like production level incidents, production level bugs, uptime to make the question a bit more tactical? If you build everything in house, then you know, okay, well, if something happens, like here's where I can go to, to fix it and you could instrument your monitoring and all of that. Um, when it comes to leveraging a lot of third party tools, like third party platforms and plugins and things like that, how are you thinking about quality uptime? and things like that? And more importantly, how are you thinking of responding internally around production level stuff? Yeah, so this has been a big thing when I was at the agency side, especially running an in-house engineering team. So we're looking at things like from an APM level, so an application performance monitoring, what's our throughput? Are we seeing error spikes across our different applications? Security becomes a big concern, especially recently been hearing about a lot of the hacks you've seen, whether it's from Indigo last year, VF Corporation just had a huge exploit. And that's coming really from user security and, and email phishing ultimately is somebody getting into somebody's personal machine and then taking it down from there. And so that's always something on the forefront. And then it's kind of the day-to-day -day bugs. You know, software is built by humans and humans are emphatically imperfect. And so you're always going to have 
errors. And so I think it's monitoring those, having the right tools in place. Like I would never recommend to any brand building your own error software. It's <laughs> you're just like I've actually heard that one once or twice, like very rarely, but I heard it once or twice. And yeah, to your point. <laughs> we've got like a particularly old part of the Missouri stack that emails a particular email within our system when we start spiking on particular errors. And so that's been helpful for me of like, oh, hey, this old crufty part of our application is there's a problem there, but my email suffers. And so I think it's really kind of knowing that, hey, when this is a P0 and let's drop everything and we've done a lot of work to make sure we've got a, a monitoring system in place, leveraging things like PagerDuty and tuning that over time so that we're not waking someone up at 3 a.m. because Stripe's having a problem, waking someone up at 3 in the morning when we're having an issue, which knock on wood hasn't happened in, in my time here. Cool. Glad to hear and great insight. Moving on to one of the kind of topics du jour around leveraging AI, whether it's for personalization, whether it's for fraud, whether it's for whatever you kind of want to put it. How are you looking at AI? Like, do you have a dedicated AI roadmap? What are some of the kind of low hanging fruit things that you think could be something that could drive value to your customer base? Yeah, so I'd say definitely looking a lot at AI. I think the biggest thing for us as we've been looking at AI has really been first like customer privacy. And so up until recently with OpenAI, unless you went to them, there was no enterprise offering. So ultimately your data, your customer's data, your financial data, anything pertinent to your business was being fed back into the model. And so we've been really mindful and careful as we've been kind of playing with it to really protect our customers' data and haven't gone deep with it yet. And it's really been operational efficiencies internally. How can we use it to take better notes out of meetings? How can we use it to speed up writing documents? And so that's really where we've indexed is, is on operational. AI, is, it reminds me a lot of like, if we go back like 12, 18 months, everyone was talking about Web3. It was Web3 this, Web3 that. And as soon as AI popped up, we all stopped talking about Web3 and we all started talking about AI. And I think it's different. I think AI is here to stay and innovate and grow. But everything feels like it's got AI in front of it now or behind it on a title. Again, this is probably the engineer and me being like, oh, yeah, of course, it's got AI. Like, what is it actually doing? And so I think we're still really early on into what AI really means for us. And I think, you know, we'll only expand out from here. But it's ultimately, we need to make sure that our customers are protected first and foremost, and that our data is our data and, and customers that have entrusted us with their data we're being respectful and responsible citizens with that. And so I think the big one for me that I would really love to unlock next year is Missouri is a very data-driven company, more so than most product companies I'd worked with in the past, very much looking at the data we're getting out of our systems and modeling on that. We've got a really strong data engineering and data analytics team. And Looker is a great tool, but it's hard to use, especially trying to expose that into more areas of the business. So for me, really where I'm thinking about it is how can I link up AI to allow a question like, what percentage of our users use X payment method defined by region over this time frame? And ask that really like native language question to a data set and get back maybe something that's 75% of the way, but then from there, really able to modify it. And I think, you know, we'll continue to kind of explore and see where it fits in with the rest of our stack over time. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think the ability to query a large amount of data is going to be super, super critical because to your point, yes, I want to know what percentage of our transactions came from Apple Pay in Spain last Thursday is a really hard question to ask today 
So that makes sense. As we look to uh, wrap things up, Rigel, one question I always like to ask is, what do you think one thing that a lot of e-com brands are doing this year that they should stop doing? Like, what do you think a kind of controversial take on something that a lot of people think is important, but you actually think the complete contrary? I can answer it in two ways. So one thing I've really noticed a little bit more is a little bit more openness between brands that are not in competing spaces. So I, myself and other colleagues have built connections with brands larger or smaller that are solving the same problem in different spaces. And I think previously, everyone held this information really tightly. And I think at the end of the day, we're all trying to sell to consumers. Everyone's tightening their belts. So I think as we think about solving these problems, we've built some really strong relationships with brands that are ahead of us on a different e-commerce platform. And as we've been evaluating different options, chatting to them, we've been using the same warehouse software longer than they have. And so kind of sharing this information. So I think like folks need to kind of stop being so precious about their strategy. Obviously, you don't want to give them you know all the sauce away. And I also think like membership is the other kind of big one. Launched our Missouri Plus program, which has proven to be really successful and going really well. But I think what we've done really well is it's been really about building a deeper relationship with our customers and not necessarily like, hey, here are these loyalty points. Like we all used to make fun of like you go back 10 years, every grocery store was trying to get you to sign up for their program. And we all had a keychain full of like different things that we would scan. And now it's just our emails or our phone numbers. And so I think really like leaning into your loyalty program about trying to get your users to spend $500 and then they get $100 free or whatever the case may be. But building that relationship, giving them exclusive access and insights and early access to products, I think is really where you should be indexing versus like just trying to get them to click on the email or purchase something to build up that points. I know my wife lives and dies by the Sephora program. And obviously that's been successful for them. I think that not every brand is going to get that. And I think if you really focus on building a relationship with your customer through those programs initially, that the rest will come later. Yeah, I agree. I think we see it in the SaaS space as well. The cross-pollination of information just helps everybody. Obviously, you don't want to meet with your competitor and give them the strategy for the next decade. So fully aligned. Well, on that note, really appreciate your time. Super insightful conversation, Rigel, and super excited to see what Majuri has uh, in store for the future. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. The e-commerce toolbox expert perspectives is brought to you by Noibu. To find out more about Noibu and how we can help you debug your e-commerce site and rocket your revenue, visit www.noibu.com. That's N-O-I-B-U.com. And then make sure to search for the e-commerce toolbox expert perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Noibu, thanks for listening.